Welcome to the EAU podcast. In this first edition of two updates, Professor Nicholas Motet, the chair of the EAU guidelines panel for prostate cancer, highlights the work of the panel, including new systematic reviews undertaken, and outlines which are the most important changes in the new EAU guidelines for prostate cancer for 2022. Relating to the definition of clinically localized and clinically significant prostate cancer, diagnostic evaluation, particularly transperineal biopsy, and discusses key points relating to staging and imaging, particularly PSMA. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicola Motte. I'm the chair of the Prostate Cancer Panel Guidelines at EAU. And it's my pleasure to try to highlight to you some of the news regarding the latest version of, the, of this guideline that will be released very soon. Uh, regarding memberships, we have no new member in the 2022 guidelines. And as you know, we are mostly working on systematic reviews and high-level evidence, which might be supported by systematic reviews or randomized controlled trials. In the recent months, we have published some of them that are fully included in our text. Let me summarize some of them. Uh, the first one is a very large active surveillance systematic review where uh, Peter Paul Willems tried to summarize all what has been published in terms of protocol. And now we have a very comprehensive review of what's ongoing with this active surveillance strategy. Lisa Murray chaired uh, a systematic review of nurse-bearing radical prostatectomy, highlighting the fact that apparently there is no increased risk of positive margins, but there is a major drawback with, and a major limit um, in this systematic review is that most papers published and used um, considers mostly low-risk disease and the evidence to support this uh, nerve sparing strategy for the higher risk is weak at very best based on the published evidence. Michael Lardas published a formal systematic review on patients and factors uh, affecting post-surgery incontinence of a radical prostatectomy, and he showed very clearly that the risk was there with the increased age the increased prostate size, and uh, that uh, probably one of the most important factors for the uh, urethral length, the membranous urethral length, then can be measured before surgery. We have to realize that was only based on um, of patients and tumor factors, not at all about surgical principle and surgical approach. And one of the very provocative systematic review was published by Thomas van der Broek regarding the hospital caseload and outcomes after radical prostatectomy. And he nicely suggested that with a higher volume, you decrease the rate of positive margins, you decrease the rate of adjuvant and salvage postoperative modality. However, it, is, it has to be acknowledged also that it was a very high risk of bias. And so probably the most important message from this review is that every single center, whatever its size and the number of cases it performs per year, should report individually 
is personal outcomes. That might be the best way to increase uh, the outcome and patient awareness. Now let's jump to what we have in terms of improvement, change, and modification for the 2022 guidelines. The first chapter is dealing with a definition of clinically localized and clinically significant prostate cancer. You know, very often paper publi are published studying that they are trying to find clinically significant prostate cancer. But none of them are using the same definition. So we wanted to, to, have a, 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 to dive in deep, in depth in, uh, in, this, in this question. And uh, it's a major one as overtreatment is a major drawback of early diagnostic and uh, early PSA testing. It seems trivial to believe that uh, ISOP1, that's gleason 6, is an insignificant disease, but you have to be aware that's correct when it's ISOP1 on the specimen. We are dealing with ISOP1 on biopsy, and there might be sampling error, even with the pre-surgery MRI. There might be underreported and there might be progression from ISOP1 to ISOP2 with time. So even if ISOP1 is usually considered as clinically insignificant, it's not equivalent to you have the diagnosis and you forget the patient. They must be followed. At the same time, a proportion of ISOP2 would remain completely silent and stable during the lifelong. And probably some of them might also be considered as insignificant. Some of them, I insist, not all of them. So we elaborate a little bit on what is a clinically significant disease. And the most important message is that every time it is mentioned in a paper, the author should clarify what they mean by clinically significant or clinically insignificant, uh, the definition is not so black and white. A second very important chapter is early diagnostic and diagnostic pathway. And regarding the early uh, use of PSA, we haven't changed anything except that we highlighted the fact that before jumping to the next steps, once you have a PSA that is elevated above, uh, below 10, uh, before doing anything, it needs to be repeated. It's a weak recommendation, but we strongly believe that before jumping to anything more than just having a PSA and a DRA, you need to repeat the PSA. For that chapter, we also insist on what the importance of the PSA density, and that's completely new. It wasn't, it was not in the previous version, and it's specifically related to the negative multiparametric MRI. Do you go for a biopsy? And we said initially that uh, probably it should be a shared decision making, but we did not give any advice on it. Now we strongly suggest 
that you might consider the density, the PSC density, to decide to go or not go for a biopsy. And this is based on several papers. One of them is a, is a paper published in the BGUI by Ivo Schutz and, um, and Padani, showing when the PSA density is below 0.1, the risk to find a clinically significant can cancer design are defined at ESIP2 or above, ESIP2 or above is almost 3% or less when the density is below 0.1, and it becomes to rise very well when it's above uh, 0.15. So probably we suggest that if the density is below 0.15 and the MRI is negative, and for sure the, the, the DRA is negative, you might wisely consider avoiding prostate biopsy, but still remain uh, shared decision-making. Regarding the, pro the prostate biopsy approach, we reinforce the message that the transparent approach should be absolutely standard of care. We have less infectious, that's not new, but we also showed that there is a strong suggestion that the accuracy of the biopsy is better when it's transperineal compared to transrectal, and that seems to be the case mostly with the anterior tumor. Also regarding biopsy, uh, the, uh, the targeting approach is an issue. The targeting approach is an issue and has been shown that you need to have at least three to five cores per target to be reliable. And uh, we were able to find uh, quite good arguments to suggest that you should not biopsy only the target just because of biopsy inaccuracy, or at least very weak accuracy. Uh, we also wanted to highlight again that the MRI interreader reproducibility is moderate at very best, and we have to implement educa educational courses and material so uh, the MRI reading reached the value that the breast reading from mammography has standardized MRI interpretation and quality check is an absolute prerequisite before jumping to the MRI for everyone. And one quite easy way to achieve this is to have, <clears throat> to have discussion and to have interaction between the radiologist, the pathologist, and the urologist regarding each biopsy checking the results with the MRI results and with MRI analysis. Sounds to be easy to achieve, seems to be very effective, and it's, so, it's a very strong message for that. We modified it, we reinforced the message regarding uh, stratification and its TNM. We reinforce the message despite a lot of misunderstanding that the T stage is the TNM is purely DRE based. To be transparent, we are working with UICC regarding this question, which is a major one, but so far the TNM is purely 
DRE-based and not at all MRI or whatever-based. Uh, it's purely DRE, I insist. If you use something else, you completely change the T definition and you completely change every grouping and risk grouping strategy. There's been a completely new thing with PET-PSMA. It's an absolute changing practice. And you will not be surprised that in the guidelines, we discussed that extensively. And it, that was probably one of the most discussed points in the 2022 guidelines on prostate. We fully acknowledge the fact that it's more sensitive more accurate, we have level 1B evidence for that, there's no question. But at the same time, there must be acknowledged as well that we don't have any outcome data on that. So every time you use a PET-PSMA for staging, you must be crystal clear with patients that we don't have any data on the subsequent treatment change that might be lead, that might be linked to the use of PET-PSMA. It's a major point we were unable to say you have to use it upfront. We were unable to say you should not use it upfront. We were only able to highlight the fact that we don't have any outcome based on this. And we remind everyone that everyone you stage somebody with the tool it because it has major practical impact that changed the way you're treating patients later on. And so far, these data are lacking. Thank you for joining Professor Motet for this episode of EAU Podcast on Prostate Cancer. For further information on the EAU guidelines on prostate cancer, please visit our website, www.euroweb.org forward slash guidelines. Further podcasts will be posted regularly on EAU guidelines topics. For more EAU podcasts, please go to your favourite podcast app and subscribe to our EAU podcast channel for regular updates.